I said, why don't we, and I brought this up, man, not her. I said, why don't we just sell the house and travel? And it never, it never went away. It never, that thought never went away. It just stayed with us. And the next thing we know, we're signing papers on the house and getting on an airplane. Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast, where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories of freedom and adventure from travelers around the world. Here is your host, Hayden Lee. Well, hello. Welcome to episode two of season three of the Travel Stories podcast. First off, apologies for the lack of quality in this intro. So I, at the moment, I'm in Lençóis, which is in the north of Brazil. Technology is failing me, so I'm going rogue. I'm going just into the iPhone now, man. You guys know how it is. I'm heading to an island for the next week or so, so we shall see how it goes. You guys know how it is. Anyway, so first off, I want to say thank you to everyone that was watching the live stream, Hayden's Travel Journal, live from Rio last Friday. That was a lot of fun. We're going to be doing a lot more live streaming, live videoing, that's what it's called, Facebook Live, that's the one, on the Facebook, so head to facebook.com slash travel stories podcast or just search it on Facebook and you can find us on there. Secondly, travelstoriespodcast.com slash ask is where you can ask your questions for the end of season Q&A. And now with this, you can also email me as well, Hayden at TravelStoriesPodcast.com, H-A-Y-D-E-N. These will all be in the show notes. So with this, uh, at the end of season Q&A, we will pick one person at random that asked a question and they will receive, I don't like the word win, they will receive a Grail Ultralight Purifier bottle. I know there's a word I'm missing there, but that's okay. So it's basically a bottle where you can fill it up from absolutely anywhere, African swamp, doesn't matter. Just press it down like a French press. Bob's your uncle, you know, you're done. You can drink it. It's amazing. We're not sponsored by these guys. I just really think everyone in the world should have one of these. And this is my way of making sure one by one, everyone gets one. These things are amazing, man. So get your questions in and yeah, end of season Q&A. It's going to be awesome. Let's get on to today. Today's guest is Jeff Baker. Now, there's two things I really love about Jeff Baker. He hosts a travel and food uh, show on a local NPR affiliate radio network station. <laughs> Some of those words may not be necessary. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so basically he's one of these people where you get to a certain age, right? And your kids have flown the nest, have fled the nest, have fled the nest. I don't know, that works. Have fled the nest. And you think, well, what now? What do I do now? And so for Jeff Baker and his wife, it was one of them was travel. Travel is the thing that they they felt that now they could do. He said he saw his sons and stuff having all this, this fun and he thought, well, why can't we? And so that's what he started doing and that's where the, the radio show came, show came into, uh, into existence. And so the second thing I really love about Jeff Baker, he has a great voice. And now you know I love a good voice. This guy's a radio guy. He's got one of those voices that's kind of deep and baritone and mm, very radio, man. <laughs> I could talk to this guy all day. I almost did. Anyway, he brings with him a fantastic story. You guys are going to love this one. So, man, this has been a long intro. So, you are listening to the Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Jeff Baker. Jeff, how are you going? I'm doing well, Hayden. I'm glad to be on the Travel Stories Podcast. 
And it's awesome to have you on, man. Awesome to have you on. Whereabouts in the world are you? We are sitting here in beautiful British Columbia. I am in Nanaimo, which is about 100 kilometers north of Victoria, looking out over a beautiful bay. It's a beautiful day here, which is actually, believe it or not, unusual even for summer. Looking out over Departure Bay and the wonderful evergreen-covered hills below, you know, beyond that. And uh, it's just it's a beautiful morning here. Nice. You know what I'm loving so much about this interview so far is that you have a radio voice. That's what I love about it so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I come from a I come from a radio family. Both parents were in radio and uh, and 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 told me whatever you do, do not get into the radio business. So I was in uh, the business world for years, but now that I'm uh, looking at life and what is more fun, uh, I'm back into it. And, and the, the apple does not fall too far from the tree. <laughs> That's right. You always seem to, whether you want to or not, you, I, I think in your teens, you know, you try and go against your parents and everything. Everything they say is wrong and everything I say is right. And then you hit about, I think it's between 20 and 25, you start to realize that maybe you don't know everything and maybe your parents have kind of got a point on some things. And I think there comes a time where you do kind of turn into your parents in a weird way. I think, like you say, it happened with you. You're kind of in radio, even though they said not to go in it, although maybe Maybe that harkens back to your days as a teenager. Well, if they say this, then I'm definitely going into radio. But I think it's the same with me. I mean, my, I, you know, my mom's a hippie. My dad is a biker, and and I don't know. I guess. Well, I am a hippie biker, I suppose. So I was going to say. So yeah, I kind of like it. Do you have a tie dye and a Harley somewhere there in, in England? <laughs> you know, a tie dye shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent right. You're 100 percent right there. And Mike, actually, my children are about about that age, about 25. So, but they have absolutely no desire to go into radio or television at this point. So, uh, although one is going, uh, my son Christian is uh, developing a pilot for television. He graduated from Los Angeles Film School, and he's developing a pilot for television. So he he is he has he's 22, and he has uh, or 24. I'm sorry, he's 24 and has developed a flavor for the entertainment industry ah there we go getting them into it getting them into it now they've flown the nest now i've been reading up on you by the way they've flown the nest and i i read that that is kind of where where your life kind of took a different turn in a way would you say that's true exactly the the kids uh graduated from high school and college and and left the home and started having fun and doing exciting things my daughter and her Husband are developing a, a brewery and a winery up in the hills above Santa Barbara. Uh, my, you know, I told you about my other son who's developing a pilot for television, and my other son is a paramedic and just just was married a few days ago up here in Gig Harbor, just south of here in Washington State. And all these kids are having fun. And my wife Donna and I looked at each other and we said, "Why can't we have fun? Let's go back to that point in our life." So we sold the house. Got rid of everything, either gave it away, uh, or pretty much gave it away. We didn't really sell anything except for the the house, and said, "Let's travel for a couple of years while we're still relatively young," and that's what we're doing right now. We're just having a great time, and and uh, and then sharing those adventures in in venues like like this with you on on, on the podcast, and. Just having a blast again, and it's like we're 25 again. <laughs> nice. That is the way to do it. Now, was this was this planned? Was this something you've talked about during during your marriage, or was it that everything was happening? You thought, and did someone bring it up? How did it come about? We, my wife was the the original traveler. I never was. You know, I never left uh, a 50 uh, square foot mile 
I guess, radius, if you will, of my home until I was, you know, later in life. And my wife was an exchange student in Finland, and she actually started the ball rolling back in 2004 when she talked me into taking our three kids on a backpacking trip through Europe. So I, that was my first time out of the country. And we were over there for five months and just had a blast and, and a bonding experience with the kids that could never be, ever be uh, replicated any other way. So that got me thinking about traveling and I got the travel bug. And so a year ago, or actually a year or so prior to selling our house, we were just sitting in a cafe and uh, I think I was stressing out about my, my business and she was stressing out about bills and I said, why don't we, and I brought this up, man, not her. I said, why don't we just sell the house and travel? And it never, it never went away. It never, that thought never went away. It just stayed with us. And the next thing we know, we're signing papers on the house and getting on an airplane. Nice. Nice. That's the dream. That is the dream, I guess, you know, and I have this, uh, I guess it's not a theory, but when you have things like, okay, let's do this, let's just sell a house and it's a massive move and you go traveling or I want to go to, uh, you know, Casablanca and I want to go there and I'm going to do it next year and next month. And then what I think happens then is all these things happen where they could be uh, excuses not to do that. And I think with a lot of the time you can give into these excuses. You can say, well, yeah, you know, maybe we don't have the money for it right now. Or, well, yeah, maybe we should do this. This is the smarter option, you know, financially and for our future. And all these, all these things come up that could be excuses. And either one of two things happen. Either, either number one, you go, well, it'll be all right. Let's just do it. And you just throw caution to the wind and do it. Or number two, which I think happens a lot of the time, is that you run out of excuses. They all begin to make less sense as you think, well, maybe we don't have the money for it. And then you realize that it's not actually that expensive. Or, you know, maybe this will be a better financial investment. And then you think, well, what's more important, finances or a happiness? And all these excuses just kind of float away. Does that, does that resonate with your story at all? Uh, man, that's exactly what we were thinking because our mantra throughout the Europe trip was we can always get the money back, but we can't get the time back. Yes. And that, that was really what resonated throughout, throughout our thoughts when we were selling the house, which wasn't easy. We'd lived there for 30 years. We developed all these friends and connections and, you know, just so many things. I mean, we lived life to the fullest as a suburban family and friends and and one of those friends is sitting right next to me here she's traveling with us uh, you know our dear friend mara and we we just really was hard to do but we just kept thinking you know this is a chapter in our life that needs to be closed and once we made that decision and knew that we would still see our friends and in this case take them with us traveling it was much easier then to to go forward with those plans because i do agree with you that people find excuses. And I think a lot of those excuses are fear-based because they think they should be putting money away in a retirement program or investing it in real estate. And I was surprised at the number of people that accepted what we were doing. I was expected to be chastised uh, at our, our age. We're in our mid-50s. But instead, people were encouraging us. I mean, we had 95% of, of those hearing our story encouraging us. And I, I think everybody wants to do it and we're the ones doing it and we're hoping we can inspire others because life is short and it, it, you don't get any younger out there. And believe me, uh, and climbing up to the Sun Temple in Ali and Taitembo isn't as easy at 57 as it would have been at 27. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, I think we're in a kind of a great situation here because there's this thing going on where the travel, some of the travelers or people that travel or people that have seen the world or everything like this, they would see the people that live the suburban lifestyle, the quote, classic lifestyle that we're brought up to believe and all these things that people say, right? And they, they, some of them speak down on it. And the same, the reverse is the same. Some of the people that live that suburban lifestyle will speak down on the traveler lifestyle if there is such a lifestyle. Now, you're someone that has lived both of them. And I would imagine... I'm not trying to answer for you, but I would imagine that you would say that there are many, many benefits to both. That's that's what I'm imagining you saying. Is it, would I be right in imagining that? Yes, I think exactly. Now, let me let me say I'm on the same wavelength as you, and I really hope I am because it's a great topic. We we are now trying to to bring both worlds in. Uh, you know, as you know, we 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 have lived a certain life uh, that was very typical of the of the uh, American lifestyle. And now we're are on, on the verge of living another lifestyle. And I do love the idea of a traveler's life, of that being an occupation. And uh, we're definitely like everyone. We're, we're trying to monetize this through blogging, podcasting. We do have a radio segment uh, that runs on our local NPR affiliate in Southern California. And there's always the, the money opportunities. So to make this a, a occupation that's paying, a profession, if you will, would, would really merge those two worlds together. We would be able to travel and make a living at it. We're we're sort of we've sort of experienced that so far, and what we find is that sometimes the commerce section uh, or the utility section of it, if you will, might take away from the travel. So if if we're sitting down at a restaurant and I'm I've got my notebook out and I'm writing down notes, that is taking a little bit away, in some cases a lot away from the actual experience of what's going on around me. So that's the challenge I'm I'm seeing right now. Yeah, it really is finding that balance between, especially when you go into that traveler lifestyle, as you say, and you start to monetize any way you can and then fund your traveling and working whilst on the road. It can, it's a double-edged sword. It allows you to travel, but it is time out of your travel in a way to work. And it's, I think that really is the double-edged sword of, of life in a way. <laughs> I mean, not to sound so grandiose, but you do need to fund your life, be that, uh, you know, be that monetarily or, or otherwise. You know, it could be, you could be working somewhere doing a woofing or, or you know, uh, AU pairing, do they call it? And everything like that. And they are, they're experiences that maybe aren't what you're in that place to do, but they're funding your ability to do them when you can. So I, I can definitely see what you mean about that being a, a complete double-edged sword of, of traveling itself. Now, I, I really want to talk about your uh, radio show. However, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. I bet you've got a great one for us today. Yeah, this story addresses expectations. And I think expectations is a, is a double-edged sword for all of us that are traveling. Mm, yes. No, I completely agree with that because, well, we'll get into it after the story. I could talk on that for hours. If you could give this story a name, what would you call it? Well, boy, I should have thought about that ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> if I could, if I, let me ask, let me ask my crew, my two lovely travel partners, what would be, if I could call that, if I could title that, what would we call it? Or if I could narrow it down to one. Oh, <laughs> I think the best name would be Can an Ocean Rise Up from the Desert? Right then, you're listening to the Travel Stories podcast, and this is Jeff Baker with Can an Ocean Rise Up from the Desert? 
Can travel experience be ranked? For example, could I eventually become an advanced traveler by going to a certain place or doing something awesome when I get there? After touring Europe and most of the US, I figured I'd reach the intermediate stage, so I wanted to move forward. So visiting Peru seemed to be a step in the right direction. The bus started rolling and the hustle and bustle of Lima gave way to a lonesome narrow highway running along the blue-gray ocean water. The sky was clear and brilliant. Everything looked pleasant, even the rock-covered hills and desert plains. Occasional green pastures and rows of neatly planted trees and bushes passed by. A warm feeling began to arise inside me. Then was squelched as our bus entered a small village. There, everything in sight looked unfinished. Laundry was strung, any place a line could be anchored. Hand-painted signs hung haphazardly above doorways. Stray dogs roamed and vendors sold wares among barefoot kids kicking anything that didn't make their feet bleed. I noticed a structure I presumed to be somebody's home. I wanted to think three walls were erected with full intention of a fourth wall. This was unsettling to me, considering my plans to rest my head and enter unconsciousness inside one of them soon. All right, nobody put a gun to my head and forced me to choose South America for a month of travel, let alone this less-traveled southern portion of Peru. My wife Donna and I could have returned to London or Paris. Those cities are the prom queens of geographic location, aren't they? Blessed by God himself, looking fabulous without makeup at the crack of dawn. Outside my bus window, though, it looked more like the girl next door. Or like the bad boy she used to date, who's outside with a bunch of his cousins. And they have crowbars. I turned from the window and faced Donna. Hey, I'm glad we're staying in Ica and not a place that looks like this, huh? She returned a half smile and I sunk deeper into my seat. As we returned to the highway, I felt relief as our bus passed sun-illuminated fields of green. A sheep herder led his flocks along the shoulder, and I wished I had a canvas and a pallet of oils. It was the perfect time for Donna to announce our next stop would be Ica. Certainly it'd be nicer than the last village. After all, this was the place the Spanish deemed ideal to plant vineyards and make wine. Tuscany, Bordeaux, and Napa Valley came to mind. I closed my eyes and watched photos dance across my mind. Wineries with their tree-lined roadways leading to colonial-era mansions. Sandy cliffs plunging to the palm-tree-lined lagoon of Huacachina. Yachts cruising past modern seaside mansions in Paracas. I took a deep breath and imagined the family-owned fruit farm where we planned to stay. There, we'd lounge on wicker rocking chairs atop the tiled floor veranda of a plantation house. In the wind path of an antique fan, we'd hold chilled glasses of pureed exotic fruit harvested from the assortment of beautiful trees swaying in our sight beyond. A twinge of excitement came over me as the bus downshifted. Let's go, Jeffrey. This is Ika. Donna started stuffing things into her pack. I opened my eyes and looked out the window. My intestines began to tie a square knot. The smiling Luis met us in the lobby. We paid a flat fee to stay in his family home slash plantation and get his guide services. I'd put him in his mid-thirties, a good-looking fellow that reminded me of a younger Harvey Keitel. 
He seemed fit and was probably one of those guys who never tried out for a team. You know what I mean? The type that shows up and the coach assumes they're the ascendant of a Carl Lewis or Jim Thorpe. As impressive as he was in stature, he didn't exactly have the looks of a plantation owner. Have you enjoyed your trip so far? He asked, loading our packs into the back of his Chevy SUV. Great, I said, then realized something was different. His English was strong. He told us he lived in Atlanta for a few years. Oh boy, it was nice to converse freely in English. So nice, it took my mind off the passing scenery. Luis pulled into an unassuming residential neighborhood and stopped at a driveway of a house. He dialed his cell phone, and a few minutes later, a young man that sort of looked like him emerged and opened a garage door. Perhaps the plan was to pick this guy up and give him a lift to the plantation. Luis pulled the car inside. This is it. This is it. This is the plantation. The house was four stories tall and relatively modern. Luis led us up to an open air deck on the third level. Once there, I heard a strange voice coming through a megaphone that reminded me of those sunrise prayers blasted over Tehran in the movie Argo. Luis told me it was a local bread peddler as he opened the door to a small suite. Don and I poked our heads inside and were surprised to see a newly remodeled bedroom and private bath with lots of marble and tile and slate, like a hotel room you'd find in Palm Springs. You like it? He asked and smiled when he saw our response. As we unpacked, I heard another amplified voice from the street. This time, a woman. From a window, I peered down and watched her makeshift bicycle cart haul an insulated case of ice cream. Later, I returned to the balcony and, with my elbows resting on the rail, continued studying our neighborhood. A red brick building next door looked to be still suffering from the 2007 earthquake. It was half covered by a huge leafy tree that was now brilliantly illuminated by the rays of the setting sun. In the near distance, I spotted a small park where children kicked a soccer ball around, not across grass, but tiled flooring. On the rooftop of the building next door, I watched a woman carry a small pot of flowers. She waved at me and smiled. Eventually, Donna and I rested our road-weary bodies in the fresh sheets of a brand new bed. The crosswind from two windows felt wonderful and lulled us to sleep. My eyes opened when an all-too-familiar sound attacked my eardrums. I sat up and cursed the rooster in the chicken pen below our window. Is it morning already? Well, technically it was. My watch read 2 a.m. When my heartbeat returned to normal, I fell back asleep, only to be awoken again an hour later. I lay awake, staring at a black sky and cursing the internal clock of the feathery fellow below. The next time, I noticed something different preceded the outburst. I could hear a faint crowing of other roosters in the distance. After a moment, our guy ruffled his feathers a bit and cried out, as if to protest the premature crowing of his peers. Oddly, I found myself respecting him. When my alarm rang, I was thankful that Donna was blessed with a good night's sleep, and even more thankful that Louise would be driving all day. Our plan was to visit the beach town of Paracas, an hour drive west of Ica. I packed my sunscreen and prayed that our agenda would include a lounge chair on the sand someplace. Paracas was more of a marina than a sandy California-type beach. Its primary draw was to ferry visitors out to see the marine and bird life of the Belastas Islands. We'd be joining the crowds later that day, but first we had a trip to Paracas National Park. We followed Luis past the touristy shops and cafes. 
A few miles down the road was the entrance to the Paracas National Park. Luis rolled down his window and gave the ranger tickets and passports. You know, at the Grand Canyon or Yosemite, the ranger booth sits in the middle of a breathtaking array of scenery. Paracas was nothing like that. The key word here is nothing. Because it, quite frankly, had a lot of that. In fact, it made California's San Joaquin Valley look like the rainforest. No life, Luis said. No plants, I asked. No animals? Nothing. Acres and acres of flat, sandy nothingness passed outside our window. Luis told us the paved road beneath us was new, and I felt grateful they installed it before our visit. I mean, after all, I couldn't imagine navigating nothing without something. I began to feel a little embarrassed. Was this all there was to this national park? I recalled recent visits to Grand Canyon and Crater Lake, two national parks in our country. We'd visited them within the past year. Both celebrated holes in the ground, sure, but at least those holes were surrounded by something. So this place was deemed a national park by the higher-ups of Peru, so there must be something good about it, I thought, as we forged on. I mean, one could pitch a tent and not worry about hanging a bear bag? Or, or, well, that's all I could think of. As Miles clicked off, I felt more unsettled. Our nature as hunters and gatherers must keep us on a constant search for life, no matter how civilized we think we are. Why did I suddenly feel like a nomad in search of a home? Such a parched landscape summoned an inner voice that advised me to move on, and quickly. Eventually something came into view, and it was really spectacular. It looked as though an ocean was rising up from the middle of the desert. Beyond were hazy blue mountains containing our little sea. Waves lapped on the shore. We jumped out and hiked down to a rocky path that led to a small sandy beach. It looked like it was carved into the base of the cliff. La Mina Beach, Louis said. There, a small group frolicked in the crystal clear waters. We kicked off our sandals and waded into the refreshing water. Luis then explained what we just did. We'd traversed the base of a peninsula and arrived at a bay on the other side. Hence, the illusion of a sea appearing out of nowhere. Down the road a bit was a place called Red Beach, named after the deep burgundy-colored sand there. We stood above the crashing waves and green moss-covered rocks. It was absolutely beautiful. Donna went on a photograph binge, but I remained there on a small cliff, just staring at the blue sea and those distant mountains. A feeling of rightness and well-being came over me. I couldn't remember the last time something had such an effect on me. A range of other emotions started in, including a little bit of guilt. So, advanced travel. Wow. Could it be that reaching the next level wasn't about going to a place or doing something while there? Could it be more about not doing so much or not thinking so much and just letting things happen? As I pondered this notion, I felt a strong hand on my shoulder. It was Luis. Do you like it? He asked. Yes. Yes, I replied. It's much more than I expected. That was Jeff Baker with Can an Ocean Rise Up from the Desert? Jeff, thank you so much for that story. I thoroughly enjoyed that, man. Oh, I'm glad you liked it, man. I, I loved living it and writing about it. <laughs> oh, that's the best response I've had to that so far. I loved living it. Yes. 
<laughs> no, I love that, man. So you said in it, the next level of travel is not about going somewhere and doing something. You pondered about that. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask if you, if you came up with an answer to that, because I know you were pondering about it. And I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to know if you got an answer about it. I, I did. I, I found that with travel, we, we travel someplace because we made a decision at some point. And we like to think that we gave that decision at all as far as thought. And sometimes we go to places for comfort. You know, we always want to go back and visit that great guy we met at a pub in Scotland. Or we want to go back and visit family members or friends that we met in Holland or, or Cambodia. And should we do that or should we go to someplace new and get a new experience? You know, like I obviously did there. And... I think that both are good answers, but at the end of the day, I think it's the, the, the blown away factor, you know, the, the, how much was I blown away to what, to what extent was I blown away while I was traveling? To what extent was my world rocked so much so that when I go back home, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a different person somehow, some way I might be different. The minute I get off the airplane, I might be different two years later because of something that just happened to me. And I think that the more chances we take, and that doesn't necessarily mean bungee jumping into a ravine. I think it might mean going over to talk to somebody, you know, uh, whatever comfort zone we know, and, and the more we can get out of it uh, on that travel, I think the better off we are. And that's sort of what I got from that. I, I, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to worry. I just want to have faith. I want to I, I just want to do what I tell my wife is the Lipton tea plunge after that old commercial that used to run where, where the guy would just fall back into the pool and with his with his little glass of Lipton tea. I want to fall back into a pool and and, and have that level of faith. Mm, I think you're absolutely bang on there. Like when you when you go somewhere you've been before, like like you say, you go back to Holland to meet a guy that you met previously. It's not that big of a change. When, when you've already been there and when there's so many new places and new experiences and new ways that these things can change you. And I think you bang on with what you say with it's about how it changes you. Because if you go somewhere and nothing happens, you come back the same person. Did you really go somewhere? Did you really do it? You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. I mean, I, I believe that you, you should come back and your friends should notice. I mean, you'll notice, but your friends at home should look at you and say, wow, you know, you're a little different. And, and the, to, to younger people when they travel, uh, much more, I think, than, than older people. But if I, at 56 years old, if, if my, my other 56-year-old friend can say, hey, man, what happened to you, man? You're different. I like it. And hopefully he says he likes it. Uh, <laughs> then I, I think I did the right thing. Yeah, no, I think you're, yeah, you're absolutely right with that. And I think when you come back from a travel like that, and you, like you say, your world is blown, you're completely blown away. And sometimes you trust people that you've never met before. Sometimes you do something you're scared of. Like you say, you want to be scared a lot. You do something you're fearful of. You don't want to have any fear. And I think a certain amount of optimism comes into that, comes into play there. I think it's hard to travel with a pessimistic mind. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you have to be 100% open-minded. And uh, I think it was Michael Palin that said this during his Pole to Pole series, was that fate looks kindly upon the brave. Yes, yes. I love a good quote about optimism and stuff like that. There's the one about uh, Moby Dick. The optimist goes out to catch Moby Dick and takes the tartar sauce, you know, that kind of, <laughs> how good is that? How good is that? <laughs> exactly, because I do believe that. I believe that you, 
you, you, you see it in your head. You see, you see things going well, and, and it may not be a specific image, but you see things going well. You see yourself happy. You see yourself satisfied, and that might be any situation, really. And, and I do believe it comes to you. Don't you agree with that, Hayden? Oh, absolutely. But there's something I've been thinking about recently, really recently, the last few days. And this is why I'm glad optimism came up because I was, when did I first think about this? I think that optimism is great, but blind optimism is kind of, is not as good as what I like to call constructive optimism. Now, what I mean by that is it's fine going, yeah, everything will sort itself out. It'll be fine because 90% of the time that works and it will sort itself out. Everything always sorts itself out. That will work. However, if if something is a little further away to reach, maybe you have to grow as a person to get there, or maybe you have to really try hard to get to get to it. Optimism does help. However, constructive optimism. So for example, bringing this into 2016, right? So Conor McGregor, I don't know whether you're, I don't know whether you're big on your MMA, UFC, but if anyone out there listening is, Conor McGregor is a UFC fighter, and there's a video of him back in 2008, right, when he's an unknown fighter in Dublin, and he says, my name's Conor McGregor, and I will be UFC champion. Mark my words, it will happen. Now, that is optimism. That's, like you say, believing it and seeing it, and he's seen it all this time. However, he has had to work to make that happen, and I think it's probably 50-50 of the work and the optimism that's got him through that you take out one of those components take out the work maybe he wouldn't be champion by the way he is champion you take out the optimism and he's a pessimistic workaholic maybe he wouldn't be champion do you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think i know exactly what you mean and i think behind that and i love the concept of, of your concept of constructive optimism because that implies that there is a an effort uh, a step away if you will from the optimism that you can look at it and study it and then jump back into it. Mm. And I believe, I'm just a firm believer that there's a, there's a greater source out there. I, I believe in God. I believe in miracles. And I believe in grace. Not necessarily that order, but I believe in them equally. And I do believe that there must be a moment of reconciliation when you're standing outside, like what you're calling, and I love it, the, the constructive optimism. There's a moment where you stand there with yourself, with your maker, and with you, the reality of your surroundings and say, is this what I want? And that may shorten that that path once you jump back in a little bit to see maybe that first day that you've got to go into the ring and fight with somebody that's a little tougher than you. And then he, he beats you down and you think, OK, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to be a, ch- a world champion? And then, yeah, I think I do. So now you, re, you, know, you revisit, go back. I, I just think there's a lot of I love that concept because the revisiting, but also with 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 the atonement, with. Because I do believe that there there could be a miracle that happens where you break your leg and now you can't be champion. Mm. Now, did you break that leg or did a higher calling break that leg? You know, mm. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes if that makes any sense at all. It's as good a question as if you didn't change when you came back from travel, did you really go? It's it's as good a question. Yeah, as that. right. I love those questions, <laughs> man. With some philosophers yeah. right here, I love it. <laughs> yeah, philosophers. But I do believe at the end of the day, you really do. You you've got to expect something. And uh, when you travel, you've got to really expect something and hope that there's uh, there's something that you can do that you can contribute when you're on the road. And I think when you if you can get your mind there, you can't help but be optimistic when you think I'm not going to just go and take. I'm going to go and give. Mm. And it all comes back. That's what we did in our 2004 trip. We uh, said a little prayer and said, hey, God, you know, what are we doing? What do you want us to do? And uh, we, we had a couple of people that we really felt that we came into their life at a good time. And then when we went to Peru, the very first night, we met up with someone that looked like they just needed to talk, a young gal that uh, just needed a, 
you know, parental influence, if you will, and we fit the bill. And I really think that we uh, made a difference in her life, and she has made some changes that were major. And uh, you know, were we there to kind of guide her or put it, put something into her mind? Hopefully. Uh, and I, I do believe in in this. I do believe that, that we could be placed in a in a travel situation. We we could find ourselves uh, our minds asking why are we here, uh, but yet the the spiritual aspect of things is 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 got the answer to that. Mm. Yeah, no, I completely understand what you mean. It's it's also that thing of being open to the experiences when they do present themselves. Have it, like being open, not maybe not having plans that you're going to go there, so you can't be open to these situations, and being open to everything that comes along, and either accepting it in and going, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to see this, or this is going to happen, or maybe not. Maybe not accepting it is the thing that you should be open to. Now, man, <laughs> I, I could I could talk about this stuff for forever with you. But I really, really want to talk about your radio show, man. So as I mentioned in the intro, Jeff is a host of Savory Road, part of an NPR public radio affiliate station in Southern California. That's a long sentence. I don't usually do well with long sentences. Man. I think you did very well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit that and play it for people because that's exactly what we do. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, man, tell me about the station. It seems like, seems like it's a good mix of travel and food. I love the name. I love a good pun. So tell me about the, uh, about the show, man. Well, you know, everybody loves food and everybody, you know, everybody listening to this, they may not partake in travel, but they do partake in food. So once you, once you take them on the road with you, and then uh, give them a little something to eat or uh, whether I'm watching someone cook or I'm going to a farmer's market or I'm fishing or whatever I might be doing, uh, I, I am bringing food into the travel experience. And everybody can relate to that. So that, that's always a good reason to start a, a segment. We're actually uh, – we do a, a little news. We're on during the morning edition news uh, now on, on Thursdays and then again on Saturday during weekend editions. So people are kind of thinking about food and fun on Thursdays and Saturdays, you know, so – we uh, the station wanted us to start with only local, and we we are located just just in the L.A. metro area, but we're in the NPR affiliate that's out out west of I'm sorry east of the in the region east of this of the that area, and we uh, uh, they wanted to highlight local places and local things, and we found ourselves doing a lot, and there was a lot of interesting. It was the original wine country of California, you know, Southern California. They made port and sweet wines back at the turn of the century. So there's a lot of really interesting things. McDonald's started in San Bernardino. You know, a lot, there's a lot of food history out there, um, and we highlighted it. Then one day we walked in and said, you know, uh, there's people that live out here that are going to be traveling into Los Angeles, up to San Francisco, out to New Orleans, and they might even go out to uh, Iceland. Uh, so why don't we expand this this segment? And they said, okay, fine. So we are now we get to go anywhere. And uh, that's what I like, you know, as far as the parameters of the station. And, and we're just having a blast with it. We just recently switched to uh, the narrative format, very similar to that story we just heard. Uh, I used to do an interview format, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but it looks as though, and uh, as evidenced by your Travel Stories podcast, that people are looking for a little bit more narrative, a little bit more reflection, as opposed to just the utility of talking about where I've been and what I ate. So... This has really been accepted pretty well. We just started it, and the station loves it, and we're starting to get response from people. And I get four minutes to, to put something like that together, and I'm really enjoying it. It's just a lot of it. It's, it's really fun to just sit down and, and write uh, 2,000 words or so or 900 words and, 
and then just read them with as much emotion as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, man. So if people are in the Southern California area, we do have a lot of Californian listeners. How can they tune in? They can either listen to 91.9 FM if they're in the Riverside, San Bernardino County area because it is a old, good old-fashioned broadcast. Uh, so if you're in your car or in uh, sitting next to your old radio, uh, you've got to uh, tune in to 91.9. You've got to be in the area, physically sitting in the area. Technology is on our side. They can listen online at kvcrnews.org, or they can go to saveryroad.com where we have all our podcasted you know, podcasts listens just like, just like you folks do on, on your website. So there's, there's a number of ways to hear it. Awesome. And if you guys want to check that out, head over to the show notes at travelstoriespodcast.com. You can read all about it and you can go and hit that up and take a listen. I would thoroughly recommend it just for Jeff's voice. Man, what a voice. Oh, thank you, Hayden. I, I always appreciate that. You know, I always appreciate that. I really do. My parents would be proud. Man, this has been a lot of fun. I could talk with you all night, but as you know, not enough hours. So That's <laughs> this right. has been great, dude. Come out next time you're in, when you get back from Brazil. Uh, and by the way, I hope you have a wonderful trip. Uh, maybe we can meet halfway and share a pint and, uh, and just talk more about uh, all these types of deep things. Now that sounds like a plan. Let's do exactly that. Man, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great, dude. All right, man. Thank you, Hayden. Uh, absolutely a pleasure for me too. To what extent was my world rocked? So much so that when I go back home, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a different person somehow, some way. I might be different the minute I get off the airplane. I might be different two years later because of something that just happened to me. Thanks for listening to the Travel Stories podcast. Get in touch with Hayden on Twitter at Travel Stories UK or online at TravelStoriesPodcast.com where you can find all of the show notes and resources. Subscribe to the show to join us next time for another immersive, inspiring and international travel story on the Travel Stories Podcast.